All right, let's see. All right, here we go. We're already having a good time here. It's Saturday, the 18th of April, 2015, and that makes this Solder Smoke 17. What was it? 175. 175. Good morning, Pete Giuliano out there on the West Coast. My name is Bill Mara. I'm here on the East Coast, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Pete, I, I, first, we've got, I think we've got to do some audio checks here. I, I, Absolutely. You know, I, I, uh, how, how am I sound? How do I sound? I'm looking at the spectrum here, and I see a little energy around 275 hertz. I mean, it's, it's, sneaking, below, it's sneaking below the pass band of the cutoff. Oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go to the menus and adjust that, because last week I had it on three. But but the, but but you know now I turned it up to four. So do you think that's causing the, the well, problem? Oh, that could be. But it, it lacks a little brightness this this early in the morning. But well, you you sound quite good. You've got a, you've got quite a bit of presence. Oh yeah. Well, I, it could be. I've got a new microphone here. I, I'm I'm really sensitive that our sound quality be excellent. So I invested in a new microphone. Was was that the the four thousand five hundred dollar model? Yes, yes. It's a Sennheiser. Wow, it's a Sennheiser. It's, it's it really, and it, it's, is it a ribbon it's mic? It's a ribbon mic. It's, yes. It's the same one that David Letterman has on his oh, desk. Absolutely. Wow, it really sounds good because it's it's got the, it's, it's I don't know it's got a lot of presence, a lot of lows, a lot of highs, um, kind of mellow at the mid range. Yeah, but, yeah uh, not not yellowy at all. Oh, not yellowy. No, it doesn't. Not yellowy at all. Okay. All right. Good. And uh, you know, and it's bright. I think that's that's the important thing. Oh yes. Because, you know, I ha I hate audio when it's not bright. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I think it has to do with the AGC settings, uh, the attack time that makes the difference. Yeah, because and then on, on menus twenty six B, then you have to set it at three, not four. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and this is you know it, it's it's very important because we are in enhanced audio here. Yes. In, I, I think we're close. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm looking, and I think you might be 20 hertz low. You, you think? Oh wow! I think so. I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at my 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 pan adapter. Oh wow! I, I got to move that up. Oh, hold on a second. I'll make the adjustment. Is is that better? Are we on? Yeah, but I think you might have to send that thing back to Yeso. Oh, I don't know because it's 20 hertz off, man. Yeah, you know, you can't have that. It's unacceptable, <laughs> especially on forty meters. <laughs> Very particular. <laughs> all right, we're definitely not enhanced here, uh, right? <laughs> all right. Well, listen. I think the other thing we need to talk about is you—you've been doing some some traveling, and, and why don't you? I understand you were out, you were out in China you were talking to our new sponsors out yes. there. That fakes you out. Yes, homebrew for you. Yes, homebrew for you. Fakes you out, yeah. China. Yeah. How, how was that? Were, were they? Were they? Were, did they understand our concept, or did they have trouble with it? Well, they had a little bit of trouble because they just wanted to see what we wanted, and they wanted to build it, and didn't want to talk about anything else. Really, and did they, they didn't under, and they, I imagine they wanted to build it. They, they probably had, you know, they're accustomed to building it in the most efficient, sensible way. And here we are trying to tell them to put in alligator. Yeah, well, how did they respond to that? Well, they didn't like that because really? it, it, it it was outside of the paradigm. The paradigm is build the parts this way. No, no, no adjustment. No alligator clips. I imagine it must have been kind of mind blowing for them to hear about these guys who wanted to have homebrew radios, but that they were being, you know. Mass manufacturing yes. takes you out, China. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I can tell you something about the food. Um, don't ask what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we had some fun with that. And, you know, there were, there were a number of guys who actually got about halfway through the uh, the pod, through the uh, – <laughs> 
already in place in order, right? <laughs> well, no, yeah. I don't think we have any actual orders. You know, in, in years past, we have actually stirred up some some you know actual reactions. I mean, there were a number of letters that were sent off to the New Jersey State Legislature when we announced that soldering in the home would be prohibited. <laughs> And I, I, we may even have had a few people order, you know, that the solder smoke cologne. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know why? Because you know, you know, because you know, really, what's going on? There? Chicks dig yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's a chick magnet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you, if you if you smell if you smell like sixty forty rosin core, yeah, yeah. the ladies are coming around. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, we've had some fun with this over the years. You know, actually, it's um, there was there was some. Talk. I mean, um, uh, John Oliver on uh, the Comedy Channel uh, said that he didn't like uh, April Fool's Day, and then uh, our our friend Mark K6HX kind of agreed with him. But I, I disagree. For me, it's 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 one of my favorite uh, non-holiday holidays. Yeah, yeah. You know it, where you can it, have so much fun. And it, and it's you know it's a ham radio tradition that we we participate in fully. QST has been there for many years doing this. One of the problems that we've discovered, though, is that you um, it's hard to come up with technical stuff because what happens a lot of times is if you come up with something that you think is kind of April foolish and impossible, then within the course of six months, somebody comes out with a board or a chip or something that really does what <laughs> <Yeah>. you, <laughs> that you were proposing is impossible or you suspect that something is an april fool's joke and it isn't as a matter of fact bill i followed up on the uh, april 2013 issue of qst on the garden beam antenna and and you know i thought hey this is really cool and you said pete <laughs> pete, <laughs> pete, <laughs> pete. <laughs> but you know it's a real antenna <laughs> oh my god you see, it really is that's, that, that, that's the hazard of publishing anything in qst in april <laughs> You know, people are going to look at it and think, hmm, I don't know yeah. about that one. That one. That one had the April Fool look yeah. because you know, it was like it was like a whole, it looked like a beam that got turned up on its head. Yeah, a actually, there's a website that shows you how to build one. <laughs> it, it really is. Well, an antenna. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're glad your trip to Fake You Out, which which sounds remarkably like Fake You Out. Yeah. Fake You Out. Fake. Oh my. Oh my. Yes. Fake You Out. Fake you out. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I have a little actual travel log news because I'd like to hear about this, but um, we did some kind of impromptu tourism yesterday. One of the benefits of working where I work is that it's right across the street from the National um, Academy of Sciences, which is a really beautiful building built in 1924. And uh, I often go over there and just sit, sit out and eat my lunch out there next to the statue of Einstein, which is uh, really, really nice. And then you could go inside and look around, and they have some amazing exhibits in there. So uh, uh, Elisa and Billy were, were in town yesterday around lunchtime. They stopped by, and we went in there. And, man, man it is really cool. I'm going to put some pictures up on the blog. They've got a Foucault pendulum, you know, the Foucault pendulum oh, that yeah. swings back and forth, and that, that, that kind of changes as the earth rotates underneath it. And then they have uh, they have the Great Hall, and they, have, they had, they don't have it anymore, but they had a hole up at the top of the cupola. And the hole would allow a beam of sunlight to come down. And right at the center of the Great Hall, they had this spectroscope. Ooh. So you could look in there and look at the, the solar spectrum. All kinds of great stuff in there. Really beautiful, beautiful building. We're going to put that up there. So that concludes the travelogue portion of today's show, Pete. <laughs> now it's time to turn 
to the bench report. And I know you've got some exciting stuff on your bench. Tell us about it. What about the J-Bomb? The J-Bomb Reborn? Yes, the J-Bomb. Or, or, or whatever else you got yes, on there. Yes, the J-Bomb Reborn. We, we mentioned in our last uh, uh, podcast about the uh, Beltorn that, that I worked on. And the, the J-Bomb is uh, kind of uh, also in the, in the same vein. It was actually a radio that I built and wrote an article for QRP Quarterly uh, about four years ago. And the J-BOMB is an acronym for just a bunch of modules, J-BOMB. And right. so it uh, it had a, uh, a digital display in it that came from um, K5BCQ, very, very nice display used in SI-570. But he, he had a series of... Uh, these display modules that were LCD non-lit. So you had to kind of tilt the radio <laughs> to see where you actually were at. You know, without backlight, man, it really kills you. So I uh, replaced that with a AD9850, uh, an LCD display, and made some other refinements. And I got to tell you, oh, I put a cool blue display in it, though. It's got a blue LCD, so... Blue, blue is very important. Blue is important. It makes it work so much color, better. Color is important. <laughs> color is yeah. important. It's almost as important as little feet that you put underneath. Oh the yeah, box. yeah. Very important. Yeah. So this uh, this radio works actually uh, pretty well. Uh, you can now see where you're at, and you don't have to squint and you know tilt the radio at the right action. Uh, the only unfortunate part is uh, 20 meters around here seems to be a little background noise. Uh, we've got something in the neighborhood. I think it's some plasma TVs that I'm picking up. And uh, aside from that, uh, it's been working pretty well. I also fitted up an old radio with an 8x2 blue display. And uh, that that was another interesting project that, that I was working on. And so uh, it's fun to see that you can take some of the new technology you have today and retrofit older radios and breathe new life into them, do, do a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Really, really exciting. Very, very cool. Very cool. Well, that's that's sort of similar to what. Well, no, I'm I'm kind of not working with the older radios, but I'm thinking about my next transceiver. And I thought I might have mentioned this uh, in the last podcast, but I, maybe just sort of give an update on where it stands, um, which will lead us into the tale of woe. Oh yes. Talk about. There's always the tale of oh, woe. Oh yes. Um, but I'm working on my next uh, next transceiver, and this is this will be SSB. Transceiver number three in the BIDX series, anyway, for me, and and I'm I'm kind of I want to do it a bit. I want to do I want to I want to add some things to it. I mean, I've done two BIDXs, two BIDX monobanders. One <laughs> started out as a dual bander and ended up as a monobander. We've already talked about that. But the the two rigs I built are pretty conventional uh, BIDXs. One uses the VXO, and one uses the VFO. And I've I've had fun with both of them, and I use them all. I use them every day. They're my main rigs here. I worked. I was. I worked Australia yesterday morning on the Bit X20. Um, so these are the kind of the workhorses of the station here now. But now I got to build a third rig. And you and I have been talking about how with sunspot numbers declining, uh, it makes sense to kind of build for lower frequencies. And I'm going back to. I, I'm going to actually. I have 40 meters in mind when I build this thing. But the other thing that I have in mind is that I want to have flexibility to go on to other bands and. Um, so the idea is that it's basically going to be kind of the, the basic BIDX architecture, but in, where, where, where the crystal filter is, I'm going to have plug-in. So I can make up a whole bunch of different kinds of crystal filters, different, different IF frequencies, different uh, 
different bandwidths. I could go with an 8-pole filter. They have a very nice 8-pole filter in the current issue of Sprat Magazine, which would give you really kind of steep skirts and, and all that. I could even come up with filters that were for CW if I ever get inclined to go back in that direction. And so that would give me a lot of flexibility in terms of the IF. Also, my, my painful experience is on 40 meters in mind. I, I realize <laughs> that if I ever goof up and come up with an IF that for whatever reason isn't, you know, you know, simpatico with, with other parts of the transceiver, boom, I just pop it out and I build another one. It'd be great fun. And I'm going to have similar plug-in arrangements for the, uh, the low, for the bandpass filter in the BitX and also for the, for the low-pass filter at the output. So I, 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 rec- I, got, from, um, I got from Amazon the, the little plug-in things that I'm going to use. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're basically uh, banana plug binding posts. They're kind of big, but they're very robust, which is important because I wanted to be able to pull them in and pull them out a lot. And I think some of the stuff that we're using for the, for the Arduinos and the Shields a little bit too kind of flimsy and wouldn't really take all of that plugging in and plugging out. But these things look like they're built like a battleship. So they're, they're kind of dual, dual banana binding posts. And I'm going to put one at each end of the, uh, the crystal filter, one at each end of each of the filters. And that should make for, for easy plug-in. I'm also, as I mentioned, this is following up on a, um, a recommendation from Farhan. I'm going with um, uh, 50-ohm termination-insensitive bilateral amps. And this is an article that, uh, that, that Wes Hayward came up with uh, a number of years ago, I think in 2009. I have a link to it up on an article on the blog page. But the idea is these amps are great because the, um, the input or the output Impedance does not depend on what's hanging on the other end of the amplifier, and this makes this is particularly useful when you're trying to match that crystal filter that's, that comes between two of these amps. You know that both the, the amps on either side are both going to be presenting always 50 ohms. So if you do your calculations on the amplifier and you see that for the for the for the for the for the, for the, uh, for the kind of ripple characteristics that you want or the absence of ripple, you need oh I don't know say um, you know, 200 ohms, then you just you could just go ahead and put a 2 to 1 turns ratio transformer at either end, which gives you a 4 to 1 impedance match at either end, and there you have it. And so I think the fact that you know that there'd be 50 ohms there um, is, uh, is a real advantage, and I thank Forehand for making that recommendation, and Wes for coming up with that, that beautiful uh, circuit. I'm also going to use... Um, SBL1 mixers, unless anybody has a recommendation that I should use something else. I haven't ordered them yet. I went to RF Parts. I think that's where you said the best place to get them. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, they got them for about 7 bucks, uh, seven fifty. Four ninety five. Really? Yeah, I just... At RF Parts. Yeah, I just bought a batch a couple... Wow. About a month or two ago. Wow, i got to take a look. Yeah. The, the ones I saw were like seven fifty. Is it the just the straight SBL-1? Yes. With no, no X well, or H all kinds or, of, no, just SBL1. Straight, yeah. plain vanilla SBL1. Yeah. Unless yeah. they changed the price in the last month and a half, I bought six of them. I said, now's the time <laughs> to do it. You will. It's your fault. You drove the price <laughs> up. You, you increased demand by about 65% just with your order. But, but let, me, let me just expound here a bit on other uh, possible candidates, uh, which include the tough one, the GUF1. And, and the ADE1L. Now, let me tell you what's nice about the Tough One. The Tough One has got only four pins. And so 
uh, I think pin three is ground. So you can actually take the tough one, put it put it on its side, and solder the case right to the board. That's ground. Then you only have three pins you got to deal with: the LO, the RF, and the IF. And that makes it really, really nice. I mean, the SBL1's got eight pins on it, and you always have this problem of <laughs> how do you connect to it? I'm liking, I'm liking the tough one. Yeah, tough one is uh, also from mini circuits. You got to, yeah, you, but you got to get that from mini circuits. That's not carried by RF parts. Okay. Now, there's an even nicer one called the ADE1L, and that's by mini circuits also, and that's a yeah. six-pin device. But it's surface mount. Now that, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But there is a desirable feature about the ADE1L, and that is it requires less LO power. You only need one volt peak to peak, uh, whereas for the tough one and the SBL one, you need about 1.414 volts peak to peak. So right. if you're a little marginal on LO driving power, the ADE1L, and it's really small. And if you're building up some boards in that and you're trying to get things compact, I mean, this thing is small. So right. there's some choices that now. That's cool. I like the, uh, the, 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 the tough one sounds Now, nice. the only disadvantage of the tough one is you can't put the balance pot on it because you don't yeah. have access to, to those pins five yeah. and six. So if, yeah. that's, so if that's a consideration, then you're back yeah. to the SBL one. Well, well, we'll think about it. But thanks for the uh, the advice right. on that. You know, I, and I, I was think I was talking to um, to Tom Hall, AK2B, earlier in the week, and we were, we were talking about different rigs that people have used, have built, and he told me that the, one of the rigs that Jason NT7S put together in his experimentations with the uh, SI5351 that we will talk about mm, in a minute. Yes, <laughs> said that Jason was uh, was putting together rigs that had any 602 mixers in there. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I know the NE602 is a bit of a controversial part because of the IMD performance and all that. I know a lot of people just like the diode rings, but what is your what are your thinking? What are your thoughts on that uh, a, a kind of active mixer versus the diode rings? Well, y y everything is a is a compromise. Okay, uh, with the NE602, you got to supply no more than about six volts to them, so you're getting in some. You have a voltage regulator issue. You have some other associated components, but the, the desirability of the NE602 is if you're looking for like a product detector, it also has the pins you can put a crystal right on there, or you can feed a BFO signal right into it. So I mean, yeah. so I mean, it 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 works very well from that standpoint. But the the problem with the diode ring, which is a little bit better on the IMD, is has a conversion loss. So so immediately yeah. you're looking at six dB, seven dB loss in the in the diode ring. So it's all a matter of a <laughs> compromise, and and if you can make up the gain, uh, like with a post mixer amplifier, uh, you know, then probably a diode ring. And and the, the other thing too is you can homebrew a diode ring. It, you right. know, the SBL one is certainly a nice compact package, and and it's built on a line to exacting specifications. But if you want to homebrew one, then the diode ring is a little easier to homebrew than than an any six oh two. <laughs> Gilbert Gilbert cell mixers. Uh, yeah, a little, little hard to it's do. It's a tough tough homebrew. Yeah, there, it's yeah. tough homebrew. Yeah. But um, and I'm I'm thinking on this rig of adding a couple of really kind of ooh luxury features, maybe an S meter. Ooh. Oh, cool. Yes. Even though I've I've come to conclude that that S meters are largely 
meaningless. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, you used to hear the old term, it's the guess meter. <laughs> well, not only that, I mean, I could give a guy whatever S meter reading he wants. Sure. I just turn the beam. I just, okay, yeah. you're an S9. Okay, now you're an S4. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me go to the dipole. Now you're S2. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know. But I, I kind of like to see the thing jumping around there, and I kind of miss it on the... Uh, on the on the on my current bid axis, so we might do that. And then one thing I think that would be would be useful, although I, I I'm kind of torn on this, is that you put a kind of a mic gain control pot for the front panel, so I could control how much audio is going in there. But I'm always using the same microphone. I'm always using the D104, so there's really no need to have this pot on the front panel. I could just set it. And if I if I put a little pot or somewhere in the mic gain circuit in the mic amp. I could do it that way. Here's another thought that I had. I, I, I think that with the D104 that I'm using that has the transistorized amp in the base, man, that puts out a lot of audio. Mm-hmm. It, puts, it probably puts out enough audio so that I might not even need a mic amp circuit in, with the bit X, you know, because it's just going up to the, to that two diode balanced modulator. And you don't want, you, you don't want that, that, that audio signal going beyond 0.6 volts peak, because then you'd have the the audio from the mic switching the the, uh, the the diodes in the mixer. You don't want that. You want that switched by the by the R by the you know by the RF from the carrier oscillator. So I, I noticed that when I look at like how the audio goes through from the mic through the mic amp to the uh, uh, to the to the to the to the balanced modulator in the bit X, I, I haven't tried it, but I I suspect that I could just Kind of bypass that mic amp and go right from the D104 right into the uh, um, uh, the um, the balanced modulator. What do you think about that? Uh, I guess the answer is try it. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, you know, I there's so many things that could happen. Like as an example, um, I have the tune function on the belt horn that I produce an audio tone on the Arduino. Uh, I had to put a relay in there because when I have the microphone plugged in, it shorts out that, and I have a powered mic just like you do. It shorts mm-hmm. it out. So in order to do the tune, I have to pull the mic jack or mic plug out, or I have to put a relay in there to switch back and forth. So you may have some yeah. loading issues yeah. that you might not otherwise see if you had a, an independent amplifier in there. I just uh, try it, you know. That, that's well. Yeah, but I mean, it, it might be worthwhile to have the, the mic amp in there, even if I turn the gain way down low, because in the future I might want to use it, you know, for some other weird thing. I might suddenly get into digital modes or something oh, like yeah. that. But Pete, you know, the real innovation that I'm I'm going for in this new rig, and I and I blame this on you, my friend, is that instead of the the VXO, instead of that lovely VXO with crystals, crystals, it's almost like it's almost new age. You know, it's like I have crystals. Yes, you know, it's, yes. Uh, in, in tune with the universe, nature yeah, the, itself. The planets are aligned. <laughs> That's right. The age of Aquarius, right there in my rig, and then and then and then beyond that, the VFO. Holy cow! In touch with the physics directly, with radio history, with Armstrong culpits themselves. Hartley. Hartley. That's right. There they are. You know, um, and, you know, LC circuits, coils and capacitors, bouncing back and forth, resonating, all that beautiful stuff. But no. No, you you have to push me forward into more modern technology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we that brings us to today's tale of woe. Yep. 
ESI 5351. I have one. It's a beautiful little thing. It came, I swear, it's so small. I mean, it's it's like the size of the end of your thumb. That's it. Big postage stamp. It is. It's like a, you know. It's like a big postage stamp. It is. It, when it first came, in, when it came in the mail, I really, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it was. I mean, there's, I got this little kind of envelope with bubble wrap and stuff, and I opened it up, and there's this little thing, and I said, "Holy cow, that's the famous SI fifty three fifty one," and there it is. So, um, you know, the only thing you had to do to to kind of assemble it is you had to put this little kind of, you had to put the pins in there. There's only about six pins. I think you only use about four of them. And then you, you uh, I used it and I hooked it up to the um, to the proto board for the Arduino that you had sent me. Wired it around a little bit because it's only like four wires that you have to you have to hook up ground. You have to hook up ground and the five volts, and then there's two little wires that go out to the to the Arduino, and that's it. And so I thought, wow, that was easy. This is going to be easy. <laughs> and here, listen, guys, any time in ham radio. You find yourself saying, "Wow, this is going to be easy." <laughs> Brace yourself, because yep, yep. it's not. Yep, it, that, that's a bad sign. Ooh, no. Ooh. Anyway, um, at that point, the fun began. And so, well, actually, you know, the, the first thing I did is that I I uploaded um, t- I to the Arduino kind of a test program that. Lady Ada, Lamore Freed, and the Adafruit folks have on their website. And I must say, that went up no problem. Went right in there, and I could look on the scope, and I could see outputs at the three clock outputs, because this little chip puts out three frequencies. Now, most guys are only using two for reasons that we can discuss, but you can put out three, and Lady Ada had one, like one at 126 megahertz. She had one at like 13 megahertz. Then she had one at like 10.7 10.7 kilohertz. Wow, that was pretty cool. So this little postage stamp is doing VHF, HF, and audio. <laughs> and it was right there, and I said, wow. And then once again, I said those faithful words. Wow, this is going to be easy. <laughs> so then I started going and trying to put real VFO programs in there, or sketches. I mean... Um, I think it, it's, I don't know why they call them sketches. They're programs. Anyway, uh, or do we know they call them sketches, but think of program. And so I started uploading or trying to upload them. And, man, I couldn't get these things to go in there. I couldn't, I, I, would, I would go to the sketch. I would try to compile it. It wouldn't compile. I'd get all these error messages. And this is where I put, a, I put something up on the blog, probably in a moment of frustration. I said, you know, I don't know how these people come up with the language that they use to describe these errors because these error messages, as the name indicates, it's supposed to be a message that tells you what the error is. But you end up with stuff like, U-8 ident did not declare. Oh, Fatal error. Fatal error. error. What's that mean? I can't understand any of this stuff. You know, and I would say it's like, you could say, oh, it's like it's in another language. But if it was in another language, at least you could figure out what they were saying. Or you could do Google Translate. Maybe they should come up with, like, Google Translate to translate from <laughs> from geek to human. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. There you <laughs> so you could, yeah, that would be a good idea. There's, there's geniuses out there in Google. Come up with a Google Translate for that. 
So we could take the error messages that the software sends us, put it in the translate block, and then they could come out. I, I want some money from this. I want a piece. Of, I want this. this is going to be a big seller, Google. And believe me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in touch with our, our attorneys at Dewey, Cheatham, and Howell. And mark the, mark the calendar. This is the way, I did, the way I came up with this innovative feature for Google Translate. What do you think, Pete? Uh, I, I think you're right on the money. Right on the money. Because <laughs> I couldn't figure out what the heck they were talking about. And, you know, it, you always it, the worst thing about this is you think you're really close. So you try it again. And then you try it again. And then you change the little thing and then you try it again. And then you think, well, maybe, maybe it's the Arduino board. So you switch to a new Arduino board, and you try it again four or five times. You go through the same thing. Then you start thinking, maybe it's the Arduino. It's the version of the Arduino IDE that maybe I'm using a different version. Then you try it, and then you do it again. And the next thing you know, you know, Saturday is gone, and you've just got this hunk of ugly blue plastic sitting there mocking you. Right. <laughs> I don't know. So what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on all this, Pete? Well, uh if I hadn't done it myself, I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> and and what I found was, first of all, let me say that most of the stuff that I've done, I'm using an older version of Arduino, the 1.0.5. That's 1.0.5. And that's, that's an older version, maybe two years old. They're now up to 1.63. So 1.63. So there's a lot of versions in between there. I discovered that a lot of the stuff that I wrote in 1.0.5 won't play in the later versions. And I think you were using a later version, uh, what was it, 1.6 or 1.62, something like that, 1.63? I started out with like a, like like one of the, not not the latest version, but, a, but maybe a couple versions beyond yours. Yeah. And that might have been, been responsible for some of the initial <clears> problems. But then I went to the, the most modern version, I think, which is 1.6.3, which is what I have up there now. And uh, and it's strange because that works for some sketches or programs, and it doesn't work at all for others. For example, for for, for a few years now, I've been using... Um, uh, um, Rich, 87 C's. Rich, right. 80, what, 87 C's. That's right, 87 C's. I've been using his, his program for the AD9850 chip. And that has always worked the first time. It always compiles. It always goes right into the Arduino, no problem. Now, I go back and I try to use that to go into the AD9850 with the new version of the IDE, and it just doesn't compile. It just sits there and says, no. Or it sends some message that I can't figure out. So, yeah, there's a problem with the, with the new versions of the IDE. And, and no one can, no one has explained to me why. I, I posted a note up on the forum and, and asked the question, and uh, several responses I got back says, don't use 1.6.3, <laughs> use 1.0.6, which is just a slightly later version of the 1.0.5. And, and I should also share with you, Bill, that um, most of the stuff that I've written for the SI5351, which is really not my work, but work of others that I just added a few things to, compiles and works in 1.0.5. You put it in some of the other programs, and and you get the same hiccups and burps that, that you saw, the error meshes. So I said, okay, 
Maybe this is unique because of some of the libraries. It may be that the libraries that are used are older libraries, and they're incompatible with the later versions of the IDE, which is a possibility. So I said, okay, let's try something real simple. You know, the, the let on, let off. I've got a little program here that I'm working on uh, for a uh, controlling a solid-state amp. And it's nothing more than kind of let on, let off, uh, that kind of logic. Blink. Blink. And guess what? It works fine in 105. <laughs> it doesn't work in <laughs> 1.6.3. And I'm saying, come on. This this is not you know this is not looking at all these libraries and connecting all these pieces. I know, but just think about it. We're talking about libraries. There's no books here. Yeah, what are yeah, we talking yeah, about yeah. libraries? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Why this is an abuse of the language? Yeah. I mean, call it a file system or something up a library. Yeah. Ooh, you know. And um, well, I, I you know this is not <laughs> you. It's, my 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 feelings, my deep feelings about these devices are pretty well known here on the podcast, and I've been a reluctant user. I've been fighting my Luddite tendencies. I know that there are advantages. I know, and I have you know used the 9850, and it's fun once you get it going. And I'm sure that I sure I'm sure that the the uh, 5351 is going to be useful, and we're going to get it going. We are making some progress, but I have to say it's. For me, it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's always there's always a lot of heartache and hair pulling and and a lot of those moments where you have to use that word, Pete, where you find yourself saying Basta. that it doesn't work. Basta. And I think I think you have to you have to kind of kind of vibrate that last A in there. Basta. Yeah, yeah. And and I think we should encourage our users that our listeners that they should use that word because when you're going through a project, whether it's analog or digital, but more often when it's digital, you do come to a point where you just got to take a time out with it. Yeah. And and it's helpful. So everybody should practice now. Scream, basta, just, and then I just and walk away. You. you didn't also say it. You moved the hands. You got to move the hands too. You got to go. You put the put the fingers together. Yeah, on each hand, put all the tips of the fingers together and shake them like that. All right, and then you would get the, you'll get the true yeah, yeah. benefit, the full the full basta. Yeah, the full basta. But, but basta by the way, no. while we're at it, if there's someone that's listening to this podcast that knows the answer to the later versions of the Arduino, I'd sure like to know. I mean, I can I can load it. And by the way, um, <clears throat> here's also a suggestion for you. I guess I was smart enough when I loaded the, the new versions of the Arduino. I didn't do it on my main computer because <laughs> I would have wiped everything out. So if you have a second computer and you want to play with the later versions, I, re- I recommend you put that on a separate computer, and, and then this way you aren't going to screw up what you've got so far. But if someone knows the answer, and someone can tell us in, in plain English easy speak. <laughs> or, or, French, or French, or German, or anything human. What, what is the difference? And, and I didn't get a really crisp answer off the forum. They were just saying, yeah, you know, use 1.06. Well, yeah, you that know, doesn't help. Some some people are are linking this to the kind of legal problems that they're having out there in Arduino land. You know, there's been a split. Yeah, there's been a split, and there's a lawsuit, and there's kind of the the Arduino community is sadly kind of split into two kind of competing camps over there in Italy. But I don't really think that has anything to do with it because I think these kind of compatibility problems that we're talking about, as you just said, between 1.05 and 1.06. I think they predate 
this kind of legal problem that they're having out yeah. there. So I don't. Really, I'm not really convinced that that's 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 it. Also, it's not just that the the most the latest version of the Arduino is causing the trouble, because as you said, there's you know it goes back to 1.05, 1.06, and and something would work with one version of the IDE. Now the I've just explained we're falling into the same trap. The IDE is kind of the, 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 the programming software that you use to, to, to take a program, prepare it for the Arduino, compile it, and then load it up to your little card. That's all that is. And we're talking about different versions of that. So I think this is a problem that goes back a bit further. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's surprising, too, because the, the Arduino is always presented as the kind of user-friendly, experimenter-friendly you know, the microprocessor for the little guy, for the student, for the science fair project, for the guy who wants to come up with something that automatically waters his plants or, you know, turns on a camera or something like that. And there are a lot of great projects with it, but I think our experience with this one is shows that there can be, a, you know, every, a lot of frustrations, a lot of basta moments. Well, you know, there's, there's a history beyond Arduino as an example. Um, the difference between Windows XP Pro and Windows 7. Uh, yeah. I, I have a scanner, an HP scanner that, that that works fine on Windows XP Pro, and and you go to hook it up to a Windows 7 machine, and there are no drivers for Windows 7. So I said, well, what do I do? They said, buy a new scanner. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, agree. Stuff, oh, this, thank you. Yeah, this stuff should really be helpful. backward compatible. I mean, yeah. it may not be forward compatible, but at least it should be backward compatible. And and it looks like the, the Arduino is falling into the same trap. But if someone yeah. knows the answer, please let us know because, uh, uh, f- for one thing, the uh, Let's Build Something project was all done with 1.05. And so I had to put a note up on the resource page saying, look, if you're using 163 and you try following <laughs> these programs, it's not going to work. You're going well, to have, I mean, well, have a uh, problem. At least, at, least, at least some good came from all my uh, my suffering. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Tom Hall, AK2B, who's up in New York City, who's been doing a lot of great work with the uh, 5351. And um, he's got some wonderful YouTube videos. If you just search his call, it shows the, the stuff. He's got a great lab right there in, in New York City on Manhattan Island and makes some really amazing looking and sounding rigs. And he, were, he and I were talking about this problem because he, he came to my rescue with a, a problem that I was having with, uh, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a program for, for this chip. And he, he pointed out something very important. He said, hey, realize that we there's a small group of us uh, who are trying to do something different with this chip. This chip was just intended to be something that would produce three different clock frequencies. And here we are, we're trying to change it and use it as a VFO-BFO combination. And so this is kind of, we're, we're, I wouldn't say it's really cutting-edge technology, but we're breaking new ground here in the use of this chip. And we're, we're, we're asking the Arduino and this chip to do something a bit more complicated than blinking the LED. You know, there's, so some of the projects for Arduino, it's really pretty, they're pretty simple stuff. And this is getting away from the simple area and getting into the kind of complex functions. So I think, I think Tom was right about that. And I thank Tom for, for helping me with this. He, he too, he too has, has discovered some kind of mysterious behavior in some of the programs that I know he's, he's still looking at. I think we all have to thank Jason, NT7S, yes, yeah. for, 
for really he's I mean he's he's the guy who put together the uh, the libraries and all the supporting software that uh, that really has made almost all of this possible. Almost every one of the programs that you that we're talking about is based on Jason's library. Is that correct? Yes, and actually there's some uh, work uh, of a station, SQ9JNE, Premzek. Right. Yeah, Yeah, and so, you know, everybody builds on this stuff, and then it gets better as time goes on, and somewhere along the line someone's going to figure out the difference in the Arduino versions and what works and what doesn't work. Well, I found one that worked for me, and it's all again. This is based on the same set of libraries and programs that Jason came up with. But there's a young fellow in Norway, Thomas LA3 PNA, uh, and I started talking to Thomas uh, years ago because of the um, the podcast, and, and he was helping. I think he was helping me and and Mike build the W7ZOI logarithmic RF power meter, and he he very kindly sent me the chips that went into my power meter. And so as I was struggling with this thing, all of a sudden Jason uh, sent me an email and said, hey, you should take a look at the uh, the sketch or program that Thomas, LA3PNA, has done. And I went to it, and man, I don't know what, what Thomas did, but he, he his always compiles right away. Zip, it compiles right up, and then boom, it loads right up into my Arduino. And it, it I'm not sure about this, but it seems to do so independent of which <clears throat> IDE I'm using. I think he, it worked fine when I was using 1.06, and then it did the same thing and performed equally well when I was using 1.63 IDE. So that's that's significant. Whatever he did there, he he he, he made it kind of uh, forward and backward compatible. Um, and it, it's, it's simpler than some of the other VFO sketches that are out there. It doesn't have a lot of the kind of the bells and whistles that some of the other sketches has, but it basically produces a BFO frequency that stays fixed and a VFO frequency that varies as you turn the rotary controller, and then it displays the actual operating frequency on a 16 by 2 LCD. And I have it working. The, um, the LCD came in the mail yesterday, so over the weekend I'm going to hook that up. But I, 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 I'm really... Um, I'm grateful to, to Thomas and to all these guys, and to you too, Pete, for helping me along with this. But, well, you, not so much, because you were the one who got me into it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. The, but but since then, you've been okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> By the way, before you leave Thomas, uh, LA3PNA, he, he has done something really interesting. Uh, one of the problems that existed before was some of the Arduino boards don't have interrupt pins. Uh Typically, on on the Uno, the Nano, and the Pro Mini, pins two and three are called interrupt pins. And some of these more exotic uh, programs, as you discussed, there's there's ones that have a lot of more depth to them, rely on the interrupt pins two and three. And and that, if anybody has a, a Leonardo, Leonardo, the Leonardo version of the Arduino doesn't have interrupt pins. He has figured out how to take pins 0 and 1, which is the RXTX pins, and use those as interrupt pins. So that has another feature that in, in his program, it automatically recognizes whether you if you got a Leonardo, it has another sub-program in there and says, use this. So it has a lot more depth to it in 
being able to be used with more than just uh, the, the ones with the interrupt pins. So uh, that that's kind of significant because I have a Leonardo, and I said, what am I going to do with this thing? So now I, now I have a use for it. So I just thought I'd mention well, that. Well, three cheers for, for LA3PNA, for AK2B, NT7S, and, yes, also N6QW. Three cheers. <laughs> Thank All you. right, there we go. Hey, Pete, that, now you usually remind me of this. Do we have anything else to say about this um, little postage stamp-sized beast that we've been working on? Yeah, and, and I, I just I think it's really important to note that this is developmental, and you, you made that point earlier. And, and every day somebody's working on something and sees some new refinement and some change to it, and uh, as a result, things only get better. It's just that... Uh, during this process, it's a little frustrating because you just like to think, uh, make it compile. You know, in the analog world, you apply voltage and it works or it doesn't work. <laughs> and then you find out why. Here, you, you compile it and, and you have, you have no, you can't put a voltmeter on it and, and you can't put a scope on it to say, why doesn't this thing work? So well, cool. but, 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 but Thomas, another Tom, the other Thomas that we, our other friend out in California, KK6AHT, the fellow from France, he told me something. He doesn't see it that way. He's really basically a digital guy. And what he doesn't like about the analog is that it's not what you just said, that it either works or it doesn't work. Because in the analog world, it could work a little bit, or it could work sometimes, or it could work sort of, or it could work with a lot of spurs and nastiness, as I recently found out on 40 meters. So, man, there are problem, problems in both areas. But I, 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 think we should, I think you're right. And end on a positive note. And for... For the rig that I'm building that, that is designed to produce flexibility so I could move around to different frequencies, this thing is really ideal. Because even with the really simple version, I'm going to keep it so that the USB port on the, the Arduino board is right on the front panel of the rig. So even, even with the really simple version of this thing, even if I keep Thomas's sketch in there, um, if I want to change the BFO frequency, instead of going in there and messing around with coils and capacitors and seeing how much I could wiggle and move the, the crystal on the carrier oscillator, all I do is I go back to Thomas's sketch, and I can change the, the BFO frequency from 5.00150 to 5.0020, whatever I want. Move it up and down. I can move it from upper sideband to lower sideband. I can experiment with it that way. I know some of the more sophisticated programs have a way so that you could just hit the hit the, uh, the the interrupt key and then then tune the the BFO frequency instead of the VFO frequency, which would be very cool. But for now, I mean that's what I may be able to do. I, I could change the frequency range. I could change the the rate at which the the tuning knob turns. I could go from 100 hertz to 1kc or whatever like that. So it, it's very very compatible with a kind of really flexible concept of, of the transceiver that I'm working yeah. on now. Uh, before we move on, I want to make a comment about your banana jacks. Yes. I, and I wanted to say, you know, you got a really slick idea. Those are color-coded. Right. So when you go to plug something in, I always wonder, okay, which which is the hot pin and which is ground? I'm always screwing things up with those. One's red, one's black. Yes. And when I saw that, I said, Man, that mirror is really smart. <laughs> I mean, he really, he really came up with some good. You could, you'll have the color code, so you can match the color code on your plug-in uh, low-pass filter boards or your crystal filters. I mean, that is really cool. There you go. There you go. All right. Innovator, right. innovator. Black, black and white, yeah. black and red. Yeah, there you yeah. Go. Very good. All right. 
Pete, I think that brings us to the SCDs. Yes, absolutely. And, it, and you always want to remind me, but I'm, I, I took it on myself to remind myself here today. Just a few things. Um, listen, um, do us a favor. Send If you find that you like the podcast, just send it to friends who might also be interested in it. We're always interested in reaching out to other people. If you look on the blog page, uh, on every little article on the blog, if you go down to the bottom, there's a little, looks like a little postal envelope. Click on that thing, and then you could just email the whole thing, the whole that whole article, which includes links to the podcast, to uh, friends and relatives uh, that that might be might interested interested. In the same vein, it's really helpful for us if you put a link to either the blog or the podcast or both on your webpage or blog. That that's very helpful. Another thing, um, the book, the new book, Us and Them, uh, an American family spends ten years with. Foreigners, including, including Italians, including Italians, yes, Brits, yes, Azorians. Anyway, this would be. I, I think, unlike some of the other books I've written, this one actually would be pretty good um, beach reading for the summertime. And uh, so you might you might want to think about picking up one of those and taking it with you when you go to the beach. Summer is almost upon us here in the northern hemisphere, so uh, it's time to think about that. And finally, as we always ask here in the Shameless Commerce Division. When you think Amazon, think... Solder smoke. When you think Amazon, think solder smoke. Exactly right. If you go to that, if you go to the blog page, soldersmoke.blogspot.com, there's a big Amazon thing up at the upper right. Whatever you're searching for, hopefully something large and tremendously expensive, search for it there. <laughs> go ahead. Buy that spectrum analyzer. You know you yes, need one. Yes, yes. Your wife will understand. Yes. You need to see how many dB down you are at the third harmonic. Right, Pete? Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's only six grand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of it as an investment. Yes. Think of it that way. And we get 5%, not from you, but from that Bezos yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. He sends us the money. Well, and we use it to buy solder smoke stuff. Yeah, the audio program and the, and the view meter so we can set the levels right. And yeah, that's right, because we want to have presence. Presence in our audio Yes. Yeah, we don't. We don't want it to be weak at the mid range. Yes, absolutely. Do I sound like I'm in the mid range? <laughs> <laughs> hey, are you are you finished with the SCD? Because I had an input that I wanted to make. The SCD, the official portion of the SCD, yes, SCD I, is finished. I, I, Go ahead with yeah, the input. Yeah, I wanted to mention about um, um, uh, something I received in the mail yesterday from the, the Four States QRP Club. Ah, I like four states. Four states. And they have what's called the Dream Board 1 and the Dream Board 2. First, I should tell you that uh, one of the people who works with the club, I guess, in supplying some of the parts and hardware is uh, Dan, uh, KB9JLO. And I know Dan from about 10 years ago when I first got involved with the BIDEX. He was trying to... uh, he was trying to build one. He was having some difficulty, and we exchanged a whole series of emails. Anyway, he uh, he sent me these uh, a Dream Board One and a Dream Board Two, and essentially what these are, uh, these boards were designed by K8 IQI Jim, and and Jim is the 2N2222 fame, the guy that built the whole transceiver out of 2N2222s. And the neatest Manhattan construction boards ever yes, made. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, the, what the Dream Board One and Dream Board Two are is intended for do-it-yourselfers who want to build a project and are, and are always stymied by the fact saying, God, I wish I had a PC board. And, and what they've done is they've taken 
circuit elements and they put them on a PC board, including a breadboard area. But like, if you want to build a crystal filter, they got the crystal filter, all the pads laid out. So you just got to solder the crystals in, solder the capacitors in. If you're looking for a power supply, power conditioner, uh, one of the boards is a complete power amplifier, some something very similar to uh, what you have on the Bidex, you know, where you have an IRF-510. As a matter of fact, the board pads are set up that you can put either the standard TO-39 transistor or the TO-220, like the IRF-510. So, I mean, and it's got, it's silk screen so that you can see where to put the low-pass filter components and what have you. Very, very nice. So, uh, I, I, I received a set of those boards and, uh, I, I told, uh, Dan and I would mention this, that people are looking for something that, uh, hey, I'd like to work on something, but board, I'm not sure I'm ready for Manhattan construction, what have you, you can use these boards. So, four states QRP. They got a lot of, whole bunch of kits in there, you know, transceivers, test gear, what have you, so, very, very nice. Yeah, it's an interesting bunch, and for folks who are outside the U.S., they're from a very interesting area. If you look at the map of the western United States, there's one place where four of the states come together. They're four of the huge western states. It's called the Four Corners area, and they're out there near there. And so, wow, it's the kind of the Wild West frontier area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, very cool. So thanks for that, uh, that Pete. Uh, I, there's something I wanted to mention. I guess it's sort of in, this, in the same vein. Um, you know, there are many sources of, of what we call tribal knowledge, and one of the... Uh, one of the great sources, I think, that that should be recognized and taken advantage of is uh, is Chuck Adams K7 QO. Chuck's been in the uh, in the QRP homebrew game for for a long time, and I recently ca- became aware of uh, through the you know I had an article there about this guy who rebuilt his SW40. He built the SW40 from a kit, but then he wanted really to understand it better, so he decided to rebuild it homebrew scratch built. And he had to lay out the board and do everything. Oh, what a what a great yeah. uh, great project! And it, it really shows a kind of really admirable effort to understand the circuit versus just sort of stuffing the board on a kit. Um, so when he when this guy was and I forget his call, but it's up on the blog. But when he was talking about his project, he said that he used Chuck Adams Muppet board technique. Now I have um, heard about this technique. It's kind of a uh, a combination of Manhattan and Ugly. That's the first part, and I think it's for experimental uh, transmitting boards. Anyway, they, it, Chuck's got a good ac- acronym for the Muppet. But you come up with these really neat kind of boards that are Manhattan because Chuck doesn't drill any holes. He puts everything up on the top part of the board. And he does it using um, a kind of a, a really neat technique where he he prints out the, uh, the, the 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 kind of the pattern for the PC board, and then then takes it and runs it through a, a laminator that the kind that you use to make ID cards. This heats up the the toner on the paper, transfers it to the uh, to the board, and he puts it into an etching bath. And the boards come out really really neat. Um, I I think it's it's really great. And you know so he's got a series of um, of YouTube videos, each of them about uh, five to ten minutes long. And I started looking at him, and it's one of these things, it's like the book you can't put down. I couldn't stop watching these things, because not only was the technique that he was describing really interesting and attractive, but all through these videos, he's putting out really really neat little bits of, of tribal knowledge, how to, how to bend the leads so that you get a really neat placement of the part on the board. Um, you know, how to, all kinds of little techniques. You'll see, one thing that really blew my mind was that Chuck said, and he, he's melted a lot of solder. He, 
he says that he's using the same solder tip on his solder iron, soldering iron for 40 years. Man, I, I'd like to know how he did that. <laughs> did you see that? Did you, yeah. I, 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 that caught my eye, and I said, holy cow, and it looks pristine. It looks great. I think he said it was iron-coated or an iron tip, but, man, I, I, I do want to know about that because I seem to go through these things, you know, <laughs> fairly quickly and mine end up looking really ugly but his look great and uh, all the soldering looks great he, he comes up with some really terrific uh, um, boards I want a Muppet I don't know if I have the patience <laughs> to do it as neat as he's done so I was thinking about making that one of the innovations in the new transceiver do it as Muppet boards but Pete came up with a really great suggestion and he told me build two of them you know, it, he said, look, uh, go ahead and build it traditional Manhattan style, and that'll give you a sense of how big the board should be. And then if you want to build another one, go go the extra mile and yeah. Muppet it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's not, by the way, when I first saw the Muppet board, I, not realizing what the process was, I thought someone had milled that out on the CNC mill. I thought someone wrote a program. When I looked at it, oh, I said, oh, yeah, they CNC milled it, and it's not. Went through the etching. Yeah, track. yeah. Wow. It was, that, it was that good. It was that good. No, no. And then he he sprays it with uh, Krylon Clear, and then he when he solders, he goes solders right through the Krylon Clear. It's it is there's a lot of really innovative techniques, and it produces these really great boards. I think it's uh, terrific stuff. Um, yeah. So three cheers for Chuck Adams. Check out his videos. What a great resource. Thanks, Chuck. Um, Pete, I think it's time for the KX3 report. What's happening with the KX3 well, and, and your thoughts about going KX3 QRO? Yeah, I, 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 I worked my way through the taxes, and the tax man was good to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, think, I think we're gonna, about to head off for uh, getting the uh, amplifier with the tuner. And uh, I, I've had it on about once or twice since we last talked, but uh, the bands have not been that good. And uh, so I've also convinced myself that I need to improve my antenna system. Yes, that's the next thing I have on my list. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, you know, putting a, a, a superb radio on a poor antenna system doesn't buy you very much. You really need to put the, the time and effort. And I, I mentioned to you the other day that I've been looking at uh, spider beam or hex beam, you know, maybe a Moxon. But, but yeah. I, need to, I need to get something up a little higher, and I need to get something with directivity to really get advantage of it. I mean, putting putting a lot of money into a power amplifier is not as fruitful as putting money into a, a good antenna system. Yeah, I, I, I've been talking to Pete about this, and I, uh, I'm i a big fan of the Moxon, uh, but mine is just for 17. So then I was saying, well, maybe, maybe a hex beam or something like that with maybe a push-up mass, something that you don't have to climb or... That's not really a big problem. You could, the, the Moxon and the hex beams are so light, you could do a lot with that. So that's my uh, my suggestion. I would really like to see a, a hex beam or a Moxon flying proudly above N6QW <laughs> up there. I'm not so sure about my neighbors. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I've, I've been I've been people are fine with my Moxon. They they can barely see it. I painted it flat black. It's kind of stealthy, so it, it's fine. I wish mine would cover twenty, but I just did it for seventeen. So. Uh, Anyway, if anybody out there has any thoughts or suggestions about what Pete should do for his next antenna, he needs an antenna because we need we need powerful signals coming out of uh, 
of of a piece QTH there and uh in Newberry Park, and so we we gotta you know it, it, it's like Menlo Park, it's Newberry Park, yeah. it's like a new version. Yeah, most people say Newberry Park. Where's that? <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, uh, yes, I continue to be amazed. As a matter of fact, uh, I should tell you, and I think I shared this with you, and I think you talked to the same guy. I had a QSO with a guy running a KX3 the other day with uh, about a 50-watt amplifier on it. And he's running yeah. into a vertical. And, boy, it really sounded good on this end. So, yeah. you know, just... you got to get that antenna. We, then we could, we could be... We could we could do a... We, we could actually do a Solder Smoke podcast on the air. Can you Ooh. That would be cool. Or at least a portion of it. Wow. Holy cow. That would be yeah. great. Pete, it's time for Solder Smoke Mailbag. Yes. We've been getting some mail. Yes. We got a nice one this morning from our friend Colin over there. I think it's M1BUU, yes, correct? Correct. Colin is out there. We were wondering what was happening with him. He's a busy fellow. He's a, he's a father of a young family, but he, he built that beautiful um, Bit X20. And he and he, his first videos were from his backyard. And then we got the videos of him up on the uh, on the mountaintop. And and a third one came in today. And he, he's using that that uh, that rake. He's his ambition is to go transatlantic with it, and he's trying to set up a schedule with a fellow in New York. I said, "Hey, why don't you set up a schedule with a fellow here in Northern Virginia, yeah, yeah. and we could we could make some history, bidex to bidex, transatlantic." So, Colin, send me an email. I, I was I was out. really taken by that video. I sent him an email back. Well, first of all, what was what was interesting? He's got a picnic table in his backyard, which is really cool. Yeah. But evidently, it was laundry day because <laughs> the clothesline was up, and there was the laundry in the back. Crowd, you know? oh and I said that was a really cool touch. You know? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure his wife really appreciates it putting that up on YouTube. <laughs> Good move, Colin. Yeah. Oh well, we also got some uh, email from uh, from our friend uh, Thomas out in California. Thomas KK6 AHT. He's the fellow who brought his minimo all the way across the country. And he and I uh, walked into a bar in Roslyn, Virginia. So the the the, the, the article on the blog was uh, two guys in a minimal walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah, but um, he he wrote to us about a, a, another application of the SI fifty three fifty one, and uh, he was using it for for a whisper based project or something like that. But you and I had been talking about Thomas, so we immediately pounced. It was an opportunity for peer pressure. <laughs> Because Thomas, and, I, and I, I call on all the Solder Smoke listeners to join us in this, Thomas built that beautiful Minima, and really a great job. It was his first real big radio project. And then he, he flew it all the way across the, the United States, and we sat there in the bar in Roslyn, Virginia, and looked at it. It's, it's a wonderful piece of work. He has not put this thing on the air. Yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, that, that is really, I mean, I'm, I mean, Colin was pulling the same thing for a while, and I said, put the thing on the air. Make a little amplifier. The problem is the Minima has a very low output unless you add the, the RF amplifier, and Farhan designed a, a, what he calls the RF-386. But, the you know, an IRF-510 amp would do, um, you know, a J-Bot amp, all these things. They would all work. So join us in calling on Thomas, KK6AHT, to put his rig on the air. Yes. Yes. I don't know. They're they're very Silicon Valley out there. Do we have to start a Kickstarter campaign on this thing? I don't think so. You know, I think I got him diverted to another path. He's he's not going with a color display. Oh man, yeah, you, you got to take things one step at a time. Make some contacts. Work the world. There you go, Thomas. Come on, do us a favor. We get also some some interesting email 
on um, the Beach 40 on on the rig. I, I I don't have the name of the fellow who was writing to us about this. Well, who's who was this? Was it was it Ro, uh, Roland? Ronan. Ronan. Ronan wrote, wrote to us. He's uh, building a Beach 40 and uh, was having some trouble with it. And and then he asked a question that caused Pete and I both to kind of take a look. And, you know, this is the kind of error that, that takes place all the time with schematics. It happens all the time in all the big ham radio magazines. That's why they have errata sections. But we looked at the transformers on the power amplifier on the Beach 40. That uh, There's been some, uh, some drawings of the, of the, the transformers up on the, on the Internet, including on, on our blog. And uh, sure enough, the, uh, the schematics that were put up showed that the transformers were going in backwards. They were um, bifiller toroid uh, uh, transformers, and instead of going four to one impedance, they were going the one four, to four. Yeah. Now it would probably still work to a fashion, but it would work a lot better if they were put the other yeah. way around. And I think I think a lot of experienced builders probably didn't even notice the error. They just noticed that there was a four to one transformer, and they, and they wired put, it, and they probably put it in the right way, yeah. right? But but for, for for less experienced builders, that might have been a bit of a showstopper. So. Um, take a look at that, especially in the power amplifier section. You got to see how. Make sure that those uh, transformers are wired in correctly. But but no sweat. I mean, everybody makes those mistakes. I uh, I got really cool email. I, I like this project, and I got to follow up with this guy. It's a, it's a real kind of uh, international brotherhood of electronic wizards email. This is Aldrich, Oscar Alpha Four Alpha Sierra Delta, down there in Peru. Aldrich is building or has built a BIDX-40 in Peru. And uh, it put a, 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 a nice YouTube video about his rig. And he has his, uh, his little boy there in the shack with him, uh, helping him test it and talking on the microphone. It reminded me very much of uh, Billy being in the shack when, when I was home brewing out in the Azores or in London. It's kind of the same age. But Aldrich uh, has... Uh, <laughs> You know, I hate to laugh, but I, I, it was one of these things where I read the email and I sat back and I thought my response was going to be, welcome to our world, because he, uh, yeah. he, everything went fine. And he's got the thing, he's got, you know, he's got it like 90% done because the receiver's working. And if you've got a BIDX, you're sitting there and it's it's inhaling. If it's receiving, then you're you're 90% there, that most of the circuitry is, is working. But when he fired up the, the, uh, the power amplifier, and he used the J-Bot. He used the, just a bunch of transistors amplifier that uh, that Farhan designed a few years ago. And the, the J-Bot started oscillating like crazy on 40 meters. So there you go. You build an amplifier and you end up getting an oscillator. And that's, that's just part of the game. So we were kind of um, advising and counseling and consoling Aldrich down there in Peru on how to deal with this. One of the things that we noticed, he sent us a picture of the the bidex and it looked fine except for the area around the power amplifier the wires the wiring there was just too much loose wiring everything has to be kind of nailed down everything has to be bypassed every wire that could possibly pick up rf and send it back to the input has to be shortened preferably shielded bypassed you really have to nail this thing down and other areas of the rig i mean you don't have to be quite so careful but man when you start dealing with Five watts of RF flowing around out there. The possibilities for uh, for feedback and mayhem, as we know so well, Pete. Yes, K beta you know, equals one. <laughs> yeah, the old your old friend Barhausen, yeah, man. Yeah. He'll get you every time. Uh, so anyway, um, we really want uh, 
Aldrich to get that, that rig going and working properly. We think he's real close and kind of advised him on, on some different um, um, amplifier options. One of the things I found out is that you've got to be real careful when you take some of these amplifiers that were designed for 20 and then you try to put them on the air on 40 because the, the gain of these BJT amplifiers and transistors on 40 is significantly higher. So you have an amplifier that might perform well on the design frequency of 20 meters, but you bring it down to 40 meters, and there's a lot more gain in there, especially if it's amplifiers that don't have feedback. The feedback amps won't have this problem so much because the feedback circuits are designed to flatten the response over a broad frequency range. But uh, like the JBOT amps, the final stages of the JBOT, Final amplifier is not feedback at all, feedback at all. So you might be getting a lot of excessive gain. You get a lot of extra gain there. There's a lot more opportunity to meet the Barhausen criteria. Yes, yes absolutely. As we say in technical circles. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to send Aldrich an email and, and see how he's doing. He's uh, it's also kind of a real international brotherhood story because the the poor fellow is struggling across a, a language barrier. And it, it's we we all have to keep in mind that it's it's relatively easy to work on this stuff when English is your first language or when you're really strong in English because, let's face it, about 675 or 85% of the stuff on the net on this stuff is in English. But if you're working from another language, it could be, it could be tough. And uh, I've been helping him with, in Spanish. We, we came across a circuit that we thought that he should look at for the, um, for the power amplifier stage, and that's one done by uh, a well-known uh, QRP or Bidex builder, PY2OHH, down there in Brazil. And he built a bit X40, and he used a, an amplifier chain uh, that looked really good to me, and it had a, a, a BJT uh, transistor in the final final there, which uh, might be a bit better than the IRF 510 at 40 meters. So anyway, Aldrich, I'm sure you're gonna 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 do fine. We have uh, we got an email from our friend Duane and his SNA Junior that really went almost went viral on the internet because of Hackaday, we had like a record number of hits because of that. People really wanted that thing. He put updated information on the SNA Junior, which is a, uh, a network analyzer in, a, in, a, in an Altoids tin. How yeah. cool is that? Yeah. You know what he said? If, if Altoids were not invented, we wouldn't have electronic projects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's got an update on, on the uh, SNA Junior there on his uh, um, um, uh, blog and so take a look Duane and you can find links to it all on on the solder smoke blog Pete you got an email today from a guy who's building an LBS Greg yes what's what's that about well this is really fascinating uh, Greg uh, Tompkins I think is his name and he's down in Australia and he's soon to get his ham license uh, I think he's going for his test next month and so he saw the LBS and decided that uh, that would be a really good uh, project to undertake and uh, was really gratifying to hear that it actually made some sense to him. He said it helped him learn about the circuit elements. And he said, you can't imagine my surprise when I was uh, plugged it in, turned it on, and I heard Morse code. And he says, as a matter of fact, his wife came in the room and said, is that Morse code? <laughs> so uh, kind of exciting for him. And he asked some, some questions. Now, I, I got the sense that Greg knows his way around test equipment and what have you. And uh, so because the questions he asked, he was doing some measurements, and it wasn't – he just wanted to understand what he was doing. But uh, we're so happy to see that. And I asked uh, Greg that uh, if he has some photos that he can share with me, 
to send them to me. And, and when he does, I'll, I'll forward them on to you. You can put them up in the blog. I think people would like to see that work. But it's it, it's really gratifying to get an email like that because now you can see what you did. Someone is able to take it and actually build it and replicate it and make it work. So that, that, that was a good piece of information for me and for Ben. Definitely. Everybody should look at that LBS project. I mean, it's just to get, you know, the first stage, getting that direct conversion re- receiver going. That's a, as you said, wow, is that Morse code coming <laughs> yeah, out? Yeah, right? yeah, okay, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's a great feeling. Um, terrific. And one thing I wanted to mention, it's not really in the mailbag thing, but I was looking at some recent issues of Sprat. I was looking at uh, Sprat 159, which is the summer 2014 edition. And uh, what a great magazine Sprat is. I mean, three cheers. If you guys, if you're in this homebrew QRP uh, game and you're not getting Sprat, um, as you used to something. say in the Army. Yeah, you're missing big time. In the Army, they would, they would just say you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that. Yeah. Right? You're in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They probably said it there, too. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it's, you should sign up for Sprat. It's, it's a wonderful magazine, and it, it just gets better and better. They've got color pictures on the cover, and they've got VK3YE, Peter Parker's phasing transceiver, on the cover of Sprat 159. And uh, I've always been intrigued by Peter's rig, and I must say that this latest article really made me understand it. And I could see now, when I look at the schematic, I could see how Peter has the two phasing shifts that require are required. There's an RF phasing shift, and there's the audio phasing shift, each at 90 degrees. And sure enough, there is, although it looks like one diode ring mixer, there's actually two balanced modulators in there. So you've got the two phase shifts, the two balance modulators, and it all does combine. And through the miracle of phasing, uh, the same technique used in the HT37, the same technique that's now used in many of the SDR rigs, Peter has a really nice uh, phasing transceiver there. There's also a really fascinating piece. You should take a look at this, Pete. Peter talks about some instability problems that he had with the transceiver, and they were almost identical to the instability problems that we had with the bit axis, with the line coming down from receive to transmit. Yeah, yeah. And he put a relay at one end, yep. and it would be unstable on receive. And if you put the relay at the other end, it would be unstable on transmit because you were having this little bit of antenna sticking up there at a very critical point. And he independently came up with the same solution that we came up with, which is you have to put two relays <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah. That, that one little wire is causing you trouble yep. in both directions, so you've got to cut it off one way on transmit and one way on receive. Wow, I thought that was pretty cool. So three cheers for Peter Parker. The Wizard of uh, Melbourne, Australia. Keep up the good work, Peter. Hey, um, it's almost time to wrap up, Pete. We're in, we're already in uh, in double overtime. Um, yeah, we are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to mention a couple of things. You know, um, four days in May is coming up out there in Dayton. A lot of people are, are heading out there, and um, um, Armand, our friend uh, that, that I was at the uh, um, Hamfest with, he's told me he's heading out there. So look for Armand out there. And then also coming all the way from across the pond is our friend M0XPD, yeah, Paul. Paul. Paul Darlington. Yeah. He's coming all the way over. And I'm telling you, the guys we're going to, uh, and he's going to speak there at, at four days in May. And all you guys who are going to, uh, to Dayton for that are very fortunate to be able to hear from Paul because he is a true wizard yes. over there in the U.K. And a very talented guy has come up with some amazing stuff. And I know, Pete, you're always, you, you very often when we're talking, you just say, man, Paul, did you see what Paul did? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a very talented guy. He's coming over. He's going to be operating while he's over here. So please, everybody, be very nice to Paul out there in Dayton and take advantage of his, his, his presence there. And George Dobbs 
is being honored uh, this year at Dayton. He's getting a, he's getting a big award from the Hamfest. Well deserved. What a contribution! Every time I look at Spread, I see George there on page two, and I, uh, I I thank him for for bringing us this wonderful magazine and this wonderful organization for all these years. So three cheers for for George Dobbs. Pete, anything else as yeah, we wrap up? Anybody going to Dayton? Bring the Tums. I got to tell you, one of the things that they uh, feature there is the bratwurst. <laughs> yeah, bratwurst on the grill. <laughs> Eat a couple of those, and boy, you need to have the tums. So, in addition to your HT, bring a bottle of tums. <laughs> bring some tums. Yeah. All right. Very helpful hints here from the Sutter Smoke Gang. <laughs> Seven threes from the left coast. Seven three from Northern Virginia. Thanks a lot, Pete. You bet. Bye bye. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi.